0: it is going to be sad to see Tracy go. Tracy's the only one that has a nickname for me. Don't ask me why she calls me that, because I'm not sure what the statute of limitations are. Uh, So, But Tracy, we will miss you, and we will all miss getting our cat jokes in. But, you know, Murfreesboro is home, and so she's going back that way, and we wish her the best in that. There are a lot of our, our people who are traveling today, and there are a lot who will be traveling. And so we ask their safety. But you may have met my sister and brother-in-law and their three children because they're traveling. Uh, they've been with me a few days, and they're going to go see uh, my brother-in-law's brother in Connecticut tomorrow. So after them, there is no more immediate family to meet. Uh, so you will have met everyone. By this time. And so, really glad that they are here, and really glad that you're here. And some of you, it is your very first time with us, and we're really glad that you were here today. And this morning and all year we've been talking about in my church. And with this quarter in particular, we've been talking about truth in my church. And we normally think about when we say in my church, we mean inside the walls of the church that I go to. Yes and no we really are looking at it from the perspective of Jesus is saying, in my church, you will find X, Y, Z. And Jesus says, in my church, you will find truth. And we hope that at this church, we are a church that belongs to Christ, and we therefore have truth in this place. As 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, as we talked about, we would be a church... That is a pillar and buttress, a ground for truth, a place that stands for truth. And that is what we've been talking about. And this morning, we are going to remind ourselves and wrap up some things as well as give you a few other new things as we move on to unity in my church. Jesus says you're going to find unity in this place. I want to begin this morning by throwing a couple numbers on the board. There is, the Gospels, they talk about truth. One in particular talks about it more than the others, as you can see. One says it 20 times, and the others combined say it 7 times. Anyone want to guess in your head, if you got to talk to someone about truth, And you've got to go to the Gospels to talk about it. Which one do you go to? You go to the Gospel of John. John talks about it all, and John begins, as Anieti just read for us, talking about truth in this. You would see, if you're still there in John chapter 1, that verse 9, the true light enlightens everyone came into the world. Now, that word "true" is a derivative of our word up here, truth. But it's still the idea of truth, okay? But we saw that in verse 14, that Jesus is connected very closely with truth. That verse 14, we've seen His glory full of grace and truth. And Michael has talked about that a lot. Like Jesus, He doesn't just have a little bit of favor to share. And He doesn't have just a little bit of truth. He is filled with it. He is full of it. And as we see there in verse 18, that Jesus, or not verse 18, but verse 17, that Jesus gave grace and truth. He is the one that delivered it to the world. And we've talked very much about that. We also talked about something in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, a passage in which we normally quote verse 32, which is the one that has that. Jesus says to His disciples, you remember there, verse 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But remember how that's in the middle of a sentence. Verse 31, the verse preceding it, is the idea. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide or remain in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We learn that the way in which a person is going to know truth is only going to be found in the words of Jesus. And that's just the way it is. And so even the people that believed Him and believed what He said, He says, if you don't stay there, you're not going to know truth. You're going to wander from the truth we would see the apostles talk about. They've wandered from the truth because they didn't remain, abide, live in the words of Jesus. And we saw that. And then we maybe think of most often when we think about Jesus and truth in the Gospel of John, we think about what He says to His disciples in chapter 14. Show us the way to the Father. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Jesus Himself claims to be truth. Why? As we saw in verse 14, He is full of grace and truth. That's just who He is. So it should come to no shock to us that a church that belongs to Jesus, that tries to follow Jesus, would be a church that is filled in and with truth. Because that's who He is. And as Christians, that is who we are trying to be. And so as a church, we must stand for His truth. I want to go to a passage that I don't think we've talked about this quarter in the Gospel of John to think about something else here with Jesus in truth. Go to chapter 18 of the Gospel of John. Last Sunday night, I preached a sermon about how sometimes we are astonished and we marvel at things that are in Scripture and how people in Scripture they're left kind of speechless when something happens. And one of the people that we noticed in Scripture that is astonished is Pilate. And Pilate was specifically astonished when Jesus stood before him. And all of the people, all the Jews, they were bringing all of these accusations against Him. So it would be like you standing in the court of law, and you've got the prosecution bringing charge after charge after charge against you. And Jesus didn't answer a one of those. He remained silent on every single one of those charges. And it says that Pilate was greatly amazed. He marveled greatly that this guy wouldn't answer him. And Pilate said over and over, I find no guilt in the man. Like if you're guilty, we have people that they enter Guilty. They don't give an answer to the charge because they're guilty. Jesus, completely innocent, Pilate, knowing that, could not wrap his brain around why Jesus wouldn't answer that. And so he begins to ask Jesus some more questions. Look with me in John chapter 18 and verse 33. So Pilate entered into his headquarters again, and he called Jesus... And he said to her, are you the king of the Jews? And I wish that we had, you know, like in plays, we were reading like Shakespeare or a playbill. It says with emphasis or with bewilderment or inquisitively or it gives us some kind of way in which Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? I picture that he's asking it kind of mockingly and inquisitive all at the same time. Are you the king of the Jews? And I'm, I don't know, but that's the way I hear it in my head. Jesus answered verse 34. Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Have you heard about me, and you're drawing the conclusion that I might be the king of the Jews? Or are people telling you that I'm the king of the Jews? And Pilate answered. He said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and a chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Like, you have to have done something in order to come before me because they're really mad at you. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. If I was the king of who they thought I was, I wouldn't be standing before you, Pilate. My soldiers, my servants, the people that served me, they wouldn't have ever let me get here. But I'm not here to set up no physical kingdom. My kingdom is not from this world because where did he come from? He came from the Father there, chapter 1. He's not from this world. So Pilate said to him, so are you a king? It's like, are you a king or are you not a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens or who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's what I don't think we've talked about much this quarter. That Jesus is the truth. Jesus gave truth. But Jesus also was to bear witness to truth. That He was the one that was going to give a testimony that what He said is true. That what He had seen is true. That all of these things, and what He is saying to Pilate is, yeah, you've heard right. I am the King of the Jews. I have come into this world And I'm true. I'm going to bear witness that I came from above and I'm setting this up. And Pilate says to him, and we know this maybe better, what is truth? Again, I wonder what his inflection is. Like I get, so are you a king or not? I get that one. What is truth? Someone asks you after this quarter, what is truth? How do I answer that question? Because I don't know that I've posed the question that way, and I don't know if Michael has posed the question in that way. And I wonder if what Pilate is saying is, is there even truth? Like, what is truth? Because when we're talking about truth, we're talking about what is reality. What is actually the case? Not what is perceived to be the case, but what actually is. Can anyone even know what is true? What is real? What is right? I wonder if that's Pilate's real question. He knows that Jesus is innocent. There is no doubt in his mind he knows that is the truth. But everything else? What is true? And doesn't that kind of sound like the world we live in today? Like, is there really any truth out there? Is there really only one true church you would hear the phrase used? Is that really the way it is? How would you even know? Well, ask a question. Can you recognize truth? Can you just see something and know if it is true or not? So maybe somebody says a word to you, and they're telling you something. They're telling you a story. In fact, Mary was telling me a story this week. She's like, I can't even believe some of the things that this person says because they're just so outlandish. I say, sometimes the more outlandish stuff is the stuff that actually is true to believe. But, you, you know, you see something, and you immediately know it's true, you hear something, you immediately know it's true, or immediately know it's false. Is that possible to do? It's possible, but can it be... Change just a little bit so that there's a lot of truth and a little bit of a lie. Okay? So let me give you an illustration. I got two watches here. One of them is the real watch. The other one is a little bit different than the other. You can't tell, can you, from that view? You can barely even tell on my screen. So you're looking at those, and so we have this very very easily, right? We go into New York City. You go into the tourist traps like we've been the last couple of days. You go into Chinatown and Times Square, and you, this doesn't happen as much, but you got the guy that's got his trench coat on in the winter, and he opens up and he's got all his watches here, right? He's got his fake Rolex, and he might be telling you it's a real one. Most of the time they're telling you flat out it's fake because we don't care if it's the real deal, or if it's a fake, right? Can you tell the difference between the two? Well, you can. not But let me help you see. You might actually think the one on the left is the real deal. But the one on the right was the real one because it was black. The other is the next shade of black the PowerPoint has in it. And it shows up when you put a black light on it. When you examine it closely, the true thing stands out. In this case, it's the opposite. And we do that with dollar bills, don't we? They hold them up to the light because there will be a line or there won't be because people can make it look like that's a real, truthful, hundred-dollar bill, and it's not. You see the truth can be verified. The truth is very verifiable. Over a series of tests, you can determine if something is true or not. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming here to tell you the truth. And let me show you that I am the truth. I want you to go to John chapter 5. In the court of law, I can be put on trial, and I can say, I didn't do that crime. And guess what they bring up? They bring up John, and they bring up Julie, and they bring up Billy, and they bring up Sarah, and they bring up... I saw Wes do that. And I'm saying, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. What do you believe? At the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every testimony be held. Remember, with Jesus, they had to make up some testimony. They had to bring false witnesses because just one person saying it wasn't good enough. Just like his word by himself is not good enough. In John chapter 5, he has healed a man on the Sabbath. And they are all upset that he has healed a man on the Sabbath. And he keeps saying to them, sorry, I'm only doing what I see my father do. My father has been working and so I am working on this day. I'm only copying Him. I am only mimicking Him. And down in verse 30, Jesus says, man, you've got my word. Listen to what I say, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And all my judgment is just. It is right because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not being true. Jesus is saying, I'm only doing what my Father's doing. I'm telling you that. But you don't believe me. Do we have some people that believe us at our word? All i got to say is, you say it once, I'll believe it. I don't have to check. I trust you that much. So yesterday, in one of those tourist traps, guy's guy was trying to get me to buy a hat. Walking right there at Rockefeller Center, and he says, oh, sorry, they're filming. You missed the signs. They're filming. You need this hat. And so he gives me this hat. I'm walking a little further. I said, I did not see any signs. They're not filming. And I threw the hat back in the guy's face. Well, we, we were talking about that in the car on the way back, and Brad, my brother-in-law, was like, if I'd have thought about that, He said, I said to the guy, why would I believe anything you said? You just told me a lie to get my attention. You see, that's the way some people work. They tell you a lie to get you in, and then they sell you a bag of goods. They dupe you on that. People are going to take his word. Especially people that speak very little English in those tourist traps, right? It's got to work. Wasn't working on me. This guy, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. But I understand that you won't listen to me. I get that. You deem my testimony not true. But then here's where he really starts to stick it to me. Notice what he says. He says to them, notice verse 32. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And here it is. John, and he's born witness to the truth. What he says to them is, you've already asked John about me. And John said, that's the one. He's already told you, I'm not the Christ. He is. And notice what they did in verse 33, or verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved because He was a burning and a shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice in His light for a while. Like you were okay with John until He said, this guy is the Christ. He's the one that I said is greater than me. He's the one that must increase and I must decrease. You were okay with Him until He said that. But everything that he said was true, and you didn't want to believe that. He says, but there's more than John. He said, you have my Father. You have the miracles that I do. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So you don't want to believe a person because people can lie, right? He said, look at the works that I have. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing. Like I just killed a lame guy that you've known about on the Sabbath day. On top of all of these other works, you've seen them. These works, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. They'll say later in John, is, anyone, is the Christ going to do more signs than this guy? Like you've seen it with your own eyes. You believe, John, but yet you don't want to believe what I've got to say and you've got to come up with some reason to come to say, well, that miracle was from Beelzebub. It can't come from the Spirit of God. It can't come from God because He's doing a miracle on the Sabbath day. It's got to be a demon. And those very things are saying, I am. I say I am. I am speaking truth. I am truth. But even more than those, verse 37, you have the Father. The one whom you claim is your Father here in chapter 8. You have the Father who sent me himself has borne witness about me. He's done it himself. But you've never heard his voice, and you've never seen him. But had the Father testified with his voice? To whom? John, in John chapter 1, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John heard that. You accepted that. But yet you don't want to even believe what the Father had to say. But, verse 39, you also have the Scriptures. And you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You read these things all the time thinking you've got it and you don't. Because they're telling you about me and all these things that I'm doing. They're saying it's him. Contrast that with John. When John the Baptist is in prison in Luke chapter 7. He sends his disciples to Jesus. Are you the coming one, or should we seek another? There's a lot of debate about why he sends them to ask the question. I'm going to take for this sake of argument, he himself is curious. But you can also say that he's doing it for the sake of his disciples. And Jesus could have easily said, yes, I am the Christ. But Jesus didn't. He said, go and tell John this. The lame walk, the death hear, the, all of these miracles are performed. He's quoting from Isaiah. And the blind have received their sight, and the, the bondage have good news preached to them, etc., etc. What he does, he just goes and he quotes scripture to them. And what he is expecting them to do is go back and understand that that was what the Christ was going to do. I'm the guy doing that. Put two and two together. I am Who I say I am. I am the one. These teachers of the law. That searched these things every single day. That read these things every single day. They refused to get it. And so in Moses verse 46. You verse 45. You set your hope on Moses. We're Abraham's children. We're Moses. All of this. But verse 46. Jesus said, if you believe Moses and what Moses had to say, you would believe me because he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The guy that you want to listen to, you won't even listen to. How about a guy you will you don't want to listen to, you're not going to listen to? Jesus says, there are all kinds of ways to prove to you that what I say is true. And we can take comfort in that. So that gets to me and truth. We've seen Jesus in his truth. He's full of it. He gave it. He'll give it to us so that we can be set free. He bore witness to it. All those things, right? What about me and truth as an individual, as a member of his church? Does this kind of describe me? Go to Acts the 17th chapter. In Acts 17, and we quote this all the time, Paul goes into Berea after he has left Thessalonica. And the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Because what did they do, verse 11? They received the Word with all eagerness, searching or examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know that word there, search? Or as mine says, they're examining the scriptures? That is exactly what it is. It is to investigate the scriptures. They are putting the blacklight, as we had from our watches, on scripture. As what Paul was saying in the synagogue, they were going to the litmus test. They were going to the place to find out, is he lying to me? Or is he speaking the truth? From here. And they were doing that every single day. And I find it interesting that the word search can also be interrogate. When we think about somebody interrogating somebody, we're putting a lot of pressure on them, aren't we? We're maybe dripping water onto their foreheads. Maybe it's like in Acts chapter 22. When the soldier wants to know the truth about Paul, why all the people are beating him and dragging him, he wants to know. And so what he says is, let me flog him and he'll tell us the truth. That's interrogation. Do I go daily into the Scriptures and really put them to the test? Or do I just follow what anybody says, hook, line, sinker? i got to tell you what Jesus is wanting in His church are people that are more like this. He wants people that listen but are skeptical. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, He wants people to be open-minded. Like some people, they just close their if they hear anything new, ears stop. The ears shut up. But that's not what the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians to do. Look in First Thessalonians five. And maybe the reason for that is because maybe they receive it a little too easily, as we saw there. But go there with me in chapter five and verse twenty. It says, do not verse nineteen. Do not quench the spirit. Don't put the spirit out. Don't put them out. Don't despise prophecy. When you hear a prophecy, don't belittle it. Don't look down on it. But do this, verse 21. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Test it. Someone comes to you and says they got a Rolex, and you want a Rolex, right? Examine that thing. Test it. If it's a Rolex, buy the thing. Hold on to it. Cling to it. But if it's a fake, if it's a phony... Then get that thing right back to that joker. If you care about the real deal. If you care about the true one, you will not settle for close. You will only accept the true. And he says you're going to cling on to it. It's going to be, I'm going to wear that thing everywhere I go. I'm going to take care of it. It is going to become a part of me. Because it is what is true. Because I tested it. It turned out to be that way. And so I look at the evidence. I examine it. And I find it to be true. And so I take it in, even if that was completely different than what I thought it was going to be. And it was completely foreign to me. And there are probably many of us and many of you in this room that have done just that. You didn't expect to find what you found. But you found it, you looked at it and you man, you're right. I wasn't brought up the right way. This is the truth. And you care about the difference between a fake and the real. And you're willing to pay a thousand bucks for the real as opposed to the hundred for the fake. The price that it costs. And finally, on this note, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple. If you stay in my word, you're one of my real disciples. And you're going to know the truth. See, because that's our test. Everything that we test against is against his word. Is what he says, is what somebody is saying, does that match up to what he says? If it does, it's true. If it doesn't, it's a fake. It's a phony. Toss it. Abstain from it. So am I remaining in His Word? Like I live in it. Don't get out of it. So maybe as we close very practically, something we can do. So everyone's out of school now. We didn't have this in the school that I was in, but I know a lot of you have to have summer reading programs. you got to read so many books or so many pages in the summer. Well, guess what I'm going to offer to us as we get ready for our next quarter unity in my church. Our summer reading, July and August, guess what we can do together? Read the New Testament twice. Guess what it's going to require me doing daily? Reading my Bible every day. I'm going to have it on the website. It's going to have the Google Calendar. You can subscribe to it. It'll go right into your calendar, whether you got an iPhone, whether you got an Android phone. I'll even print it off for those of you that are still not using that if you so desire. It's there. It's all great. You can do that if you want. You can say, no, it's not for me. All right, go right ahead. Don't feel pressure. But I have to think about myself. Do I really care about truth? Because the more I care about truth, the more I'm going to examine everything I hear. Whether it's that talk radio show I was listening to today. Whether it was that TV show that I put on to today. Whether it was the blog, like Everton said, I don't endorse this guy, but I'm reading this blog and he's got some good points and so I think about those things. I've got to examine all that stuff. Well, if I'm not checking all that out, I'm just taking anything that anybody says, and that now becomes true. And uh, I hate to say this, but if you're going to read the New Testament twice in two months, it is going to require at least an hour a day of reading. I understand that that is a large thing to ask. And it might not be possible for some of us. But we can at least Try. If we so desire. So here it is. Here's a parable Matthew 13. Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable. He's told all his parables. That's the parable of the sower, the tares, all this. And he gets to the end and he asks his disciples. He says, have you understood these things? And they say to him in verse 51, yes. <laughs> like they really understood his parable. Right? And so he says to them, let me tell you another parable. A scribe in the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's like a master of a house who goes in and he brings out his old and his new treasures. And that's the parable. And I'm sure all of us are like, do what? You know what the master of the house did? He was in charge of everything in the house. He had his hand on every single aspect of that house. One day, he gets new things. And guess what happens when we get new things for our house? Coffee maker. We are all excited about my new washing machine, my new coffee maker, my new this, my new that. It's a new treasure. Well, what about an old thing that you didn't even remember that you had? You found it in the drawer and you're like, man, I wish I had something a little easier to help with this pineapple. And you remember, oh, I've got a pineapple cutter. And he brings that thing out, and he's like, man, you won't believe what I found in there. You've had it all along, but it's kind of got lost in all of the other stuff that's in there. It's become your treasure. What I think he's saying is that even if you understand what I've said, the more you read, the more you study, the more you understand, the more you're going to learn new things. And the more you are going to appreciate things that you already knew. And what he does with that treasure is he tells everyone about it. So that's the second part of the challenge. Is you got to share with people what you find. It might be your spouse. It might be your friend. It might be somebody in church you want to get to know a little better. And you say, hey, here we go. Let's Let's do this together. I'll help you, et cetera. We can sit down, we can do this. But you just let somebody know one thing that either you already knew or something that you learned. And sit there and tell me after two months we're not going to be closer. Take it or leave it. Do what you want to do with it. But that's our challenge for the summer. And I'm telling you what, that's a big one for me. So if it's a big one for me, I imagine it's a big one for you. But I think it's something we can do as we go into unity. I appreciate your few extra minutes this morning. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been challenging. And I hope we are doing our best as a group of people here to strive to know the truth. Maybe this morning you're ready to become a Christian. You're ready to give your life to Christ and to be baptized and have your sins washed away. Where you need the prayer to the congregation here in any way, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.